0: Now, obviously, this is a huge topic, and there's really no, uh, there's really no good definitions for what propaganda is or isn't. Propaganda covers all kinds of media, film, television, radio, posters, art, uh, school curriculum, um, and propaganda, well, I mean, is it, is it everything? Are are Coke ads propaganda, or is it only Pepsi ads that are propaganda? Um... There's no real way of nailing down hard and fast uh, definitions, but I do have uh, four different categories that I tend to think about propagandistic efforts. Uh, And I think those are relatively helpful for thinking through what people are trying to accomplish, what propaganda is supposed to do. Um, So let's, let's just quickly jump into those. I think that there's four categories that's helpful to put things in. And even though there's tons of different types of forms of propaganda, let's just focus on posters like World War II era propaganda posters, because those are super obvious. Uh, We all know what those look like. We can think of a bunch of examples. Um, So category number one is the reminding uh, propaganda. So you see a poster that says loose lips sink ships. It's reminding you that you should just you know, maintain a little bit of OPSEC when you talk about where you're being stationed next. Or don't waste metal, or don't waste grease, or don't waste food. These are just reminding you of stuff that you already are on board with. Um, and it's useful to, in a diner, have that poster up there to remind people not to throw away too much food or whatever. Uh, really simple, straightforward, fairly innocuous, just reminders. Then the next step up from that are the convincing posters, Um, things like buy war bonds. Uh, Generally, there's a message on there that tries to convince you that buying war bonds is a good idea. You see the posters that say something like Nazis are a threat to European families, and there's a picture of a very nice-looking family being driven out of their homes at Bayonet Point by a filthy hun, and... This is just uh convincing you slowly, gently, one little move at a time, that we are really opposed to what is happening in Europe. Or, you know, there's other uh there's other posters that talk about being really opposed to what is happening in the Pacific, being really opposed to Japanese, but then then you also see the the other side of that, which is the Allied soldiers being really heroic figures. And a lot of these posters They actually are true. They're actually pointing out things that are true. They'll take a specific soldier who did something heroic. They'll put his story on it. This just really convinces you that our cause is just. This is why we fight. This is a guy that needs support. This is a guy that needs war bonds. This is a guy that needs, you know, whatever. And so these convincing posters, uh, generally, this is where things tend to uh, tend to stop in the United States. We have a lot of reminding posters. We have a lot of convincing posters, different levels of convincing going on. Some are soft sell, some are hard sell. And there's a lot of convincing posters on the other side, too. There's a bunch of convincing style posters in the Soviet Union. The Communist Party did a lot with the uh, heroic Soviet workers posters that looked a lot like the heroic Allied soldier poster, but uh, with a hammer and a sickle instead of weaponry. Just tremendous amounts of iconic looking men and women striding forwards into a socialistic future of prosperity and goodness with uh, the hammer and sickle in their hands. But when those kind of posters get overused, they kind of fall into a a third category that I have uh, in my mind, which is the dominating category. It isn't so much that that poster uh, by itself is trying to convince you that the Soviet worker is a heroic figure. There's a wall with 500 of these posters that are up. That's not really focused as much on the content of the poster as just this idea that the Communist Party has the manpower and capability to put up 500 posters on this giant Uh, brutalist concrete wall that uh, their party headquarters is in. The message is that the Communist Party and the Soviet movement are unstoppable. There is no way that you can resist or change what is going on. And that everybody in this town is on board with what these posters are saying because these posters are everywhere. And the Soviet Union had this type of attitude towards a lot of different propaganda, not just the social uh, engineering of good, clean, upright, hammer and sickle wielding, muscular workers, but a whole lot of other messages about the sheer domination of the state, the sheer unstoppability of communism. A lot of this stuff, the message on the poster was pretty clear, but the message on the poster was nothing compared to the sheer prevalence of the message. The dominating power of the prevalence of this idea. And while we're not seeing that uh, quite in the same way with posters, uh, here in the United States, I think that we are seeing that with various types of media and news reporting. I I really don't think that some of the ideas that are being pushed by our intelligentsia are really uh, believed completely as true. That's not the point. The point is not that we be convinced that certain positions are true. What they're trying to communicate is that there is 100% unity between the experts, between the authorities, that this is the direction that we are going. And there is nobody who can question it or push in a different direction, whether or not it's true. And I would say that the uh, the COVID uh, research banners that pop up on every piece of social media that mentions vaccinations or mentions COVID or mentions uh, colds. Uh, That is falling into this category. Originally, that was, I think, supposed to be a convincing thing. You see a meme about COVID, there's a little banner that says, hey, are you interested in more information? But now that uh, those banners have been up for over a year, and they're on every piece of social media, even remotely or tangentially related to the vaccination or to the virus itself or to news about Fauci or news about anyone even connected whatsoever. I I wonder if you can even post a Rand Paul meme. Unrelated to anything without that banner popping up. The prevalence of that banner is now in the dominating category. And I I would love to see some statistics. I bet nobody clicks on that anymore except by accident. But the fact that it is everywhere and on everything, it is no longer trying to remind you of anything. Anyone that wanted to get the vaccination uh, has had ample opportunities. They no longer need reminding. Anyone who's not going to get it, uh, reminders aren't working. This banner exists now to basically push the implacability of this idea that the control over the media and social media platforms is total and complete and that everything is getting seen. You should comply, not because the ideas behind that little banner mean anything, but simply because that banner is inescapable. And once you have the capability to bring out propaganda or media that is inescapable uh, or unavoidable or unchangeable, then you have the opportunity to move into the fourth stage of propaganda, which is the deliberately destabilizing propaganda. And the best examples of this are probably uh, actually in 1984. 1984 is obviously a fictional book, but it describes in a lot of detail the extremes that uh, some of these levels of control and indoctrination and propaganda would go to. And one of the points of the propaganda of the totalitarian uh, nations in nineteen eighty four is to continually change the message that people are required to believe so that they are always off balance. And not just off balance, but they are forced to accept things that are lies. They are forced to accept things that they were told were lies uh, weeks or months earlier so that they are basically always in a state of rejecting reality or rejecting what reality used to be and have no idea what real reality is anymore. It's a type of insanity that makes people very, very easy to control. You can also see that very vividly in, in communist China, particularly when Mao was in power, the rapid, complete, abrupt about face that the communist party would make. And then all of the people who were far off in the countryside and completely on board with what yesterday's reality had been were now traitors because there was a new reality that everybody was supposed to bend the knee to. And some of those country villages just hadn't heard that yet. So now they were traitors and had to be exterminated. And there was a bit of this in Russia as well, just rapid swings from Trotsky being a hero to Trotsky's allies all needing to be exterminated. This kind of swing back and does not, in my opinion, just represent a level of insanity at the very top of the person driving the agenda. I think that it actually represents a desire to promote a kind of insanity among the people down below. This forced acceptance of lies is a huge issue. And Solzhenitsyn wrote about this uh, a number of times. Uh, He has an article called Live Not by Lies, And there's a book by Rod Dreher called Live Not By Lies um, based on this idea. The totalitarian state requires that people uh, not just believe lies, not just uh, make mistakes and believe the mistakes others have made. They really need to believe lies in a way that rejects truth. And so this type of propaganda is not just promulgating honest mistakes that people have made, lies that uh, have come about just by uh, people being wrong about stuff. This type of propaganda requires that the people making the propaganda know that they are trying to push something that they know is a lie for the purpose of destroying the foundations of truth that a people have so that they are more controllable. Now, of course, one of the problems with uh, figuring out whether a piece of propaganda is meant to dominate or meant to destabilize is sometimes it's really hard to figure out if the people involved are really uh, insane, uh, just honestly wrong, or trying to break down other people's convictions. And a lot of times, people are in different stages. You can have a piece of propaganda that reminds this group of people that they should do something they're already on board with, convinces a separate group of people that they should be on board with it, and then communicates the message that this group of people that was already opposed to that idea – must comply with it. So there's there's often a huge amount of crossover. And other times where you would think there would be crossover, there actually isn't. Uh, because different uh, different groups have decided that they're going to emphasize different things. And a great example of this is uh, John Steinbeck's Grapes of Wrath. So in 1939, John Steinbeck wrote a novel, uh, which was very communistic. People today uh, like to say that John Steinbeck was not a communist, because he was not a card-carrying member of the Communist Party of the United States in 1939. But uh, his wife was, and he wrote for a bunch of communist magazines, and he worked on a bunch of labor union disputes and strikes that were organized by Communist Party. And what he wanted to do with Grapes of Wrath was uh, attack a lot of ideas of private property and uh, and private business and capitalism. So let's just say Grapes of Wrath, pretty communistic. And everybody understood this. Even the Soviets understood this. And so they were very eager to bring over the 1940 movie adaptation of that book so that they could show their people in the Soviet Union what a hellhole America was. Depression-era America was the great failure of American capitalism. That was John Steinbeck's position. And he wrote this book to show just how incredibly terrible America was now that capitalism was collapsing. So obviously, uh, Soviets were very much on board with this movie and very much looking forward to it. However, when the movie actually showed up, uh, it was banned in the Soviet Union. Because uh, it showed American life to be far too good. Even the poorest of Americans had cars. And they had the freedom to drive around and look for work. And so the uh, Soviet Party completely switched its position on this book. Uh, John Steinbeck was no longer a great hero, uh, an American comrade. Uh, He was actually creating a different kind of propaganda. A propaganda that, that promoted the American lifestyle as being too good and capitalism as being too successful. So you end up with certain conservatives uh, complaining about Steinbeck's book because it is too anti-American and it is too communistic. And then over in the Soviet Union, you have people banning Steinbeck's movie because it is too pro america and it is too pro capitalism which which brings us to i think a very important classification ultimately it really is not helpful to try to break down different types of propaganda into the reminding or convincing or dominating or destabilizing classes if you're not willing to look below the surface and put all propaganda into one of two categories truth or lies and People who want to talk academically about propaganda never want to dig too deeply into this because, well, what is truth? Who wants to actually (laughs) open that can of worms? But it is the most important thing to understand and to pursue. And the most destructive types of propaganda are not specific types of media or they're not specific types of messages. They are that propaganda which destroys truth and the foundation of truth and not just teaches truth or promulgates truth or convinces people to believe lies but forces people to say things that they know are lies. That is the most destructive propaganda that exists. That is the most destructive thing that you can do to a people. And there's no way to talk about that without actually defining what is truth and what are lies. Now, here in the 21st century West, we don't see a whole lot of classic propaganda posters, but there is a huge amount of propaganda that leaches into every form of media uh, that we get. And so this idea, there's, there's no way to properly understand and classify and categorize all of it, but we do need to really understand what is truth and what are lies? If you can understand that, if you know what reality actually is, then you can stand in front of a building covered with a thousand posters proclaiming lies and say, no. To be resistant to propaganda doesn't require that you understand all types of propaganda. I do think it's helpful as we think about propaganda to have a few categories and have some understanding. But to resist propaganda, all you have to know is the truth, and you must have the convictions necessary to stand against lies. And here in the United States, uh, like I said, there's not a whole lot of posters out there, but there are a whole lot of competing ideas. And at this point, it is very difficult to tell whether some of the people promulgating these ideas actually believe them or if they're actually trying to just push us around and destabilize us. Let me give you an example. In, in uh, let's see, it was four or five, no, six years ago, I was listening to NPR. And the host of the podcast or radio show that I was listening to had on his show a female neuroscientist who was talking about autism uh, in children. And you could just kind of hear this, uh, this host patting himself on the back Have a female expert in a male-dominated field. We're talking about mental health issues. This is going to be the greatest show, possibly award-winning. He was so happy with himself for the content of the show. But pretty soon, as soon as he began talking to this scientist, things started to go sideways. Because one of the first things that she pointed out was that uh, autism, very different in boys and girls, because female and male brains, very different. And this host could not allow her to say that on the show, but he also could not figure out how to tell her not to say that because there's no such thing as male and female. He was trying to make the point that gender is a construct, but... If he tells this female neuroscientist that, isn't that mansplaining? How can there be mansplaining if gender is a construct? He tried to get her to say that male brains could exist in female bodies, but she was explaining that that is just not how biology works. And as a neurobiologist, she's an expert. And as a woman in a male-dominated field, she has to be listened and believed to. But also, wait a minute, As a, if there is no gender, then being a female in a male-dominated field means nothing. And he has to believe all women and he has to trust the experts and follow the science. But the science is telling him something that he's not allowed to have said on NPR. And it was just interesting listening to him try to connect all these dots that would not connect uh, in his brain live on radio. I found it mildly enjoyable. And this is the kind of deliberate confusion that exists. And I'm not sure if the host is somebody who was deliberately trying to get people onto the bandwagon of denial of reality, or if he had already denied reality and did not know which way was up. But the point is that the intelligentsia here in the United States is riddled with these kind of ideas to the point that Even though a whole bunch of people in academia really, really, really want Soviet-style government and they really want Soviet-style economics, they would actually be horribly offended by Soviet propaganda posters because that strong male worker and that strong female worker standing next to him, it's just that poster has too much patriarchal heteronormativity for it to be allowed out in public. I think that just shows how far down this particular list of propaganda we are, not so much in our posters, but in the way that our experts and uh, our academics and our media people are thinking about the world and the messages that they are wanting to communicate to you and the bandwagons that they want you uh, to be on. So again, even though I've laid out four different categories for thinking about propaganda, don't get so caught up in those categories and focus more on the resistance to lies and the understanding of what truth actually can be. I'm going to be reading the the Rob Dreyer book, Live Not By Lies. I don't like to recommend books that I haven't read, but there have been so many people that I trust recommending that book already. I think that it's probably an excellent place to start on some of these ideas or the original article that Solzhenitsyn wrote, Live Not By Lies, and the importance of Forcing people to believe lies, not trick them, but forcing people to believe lies that they know are lies. That concept is so fundamental to totalitarianism and the destruction of a free people that it's something that we really, really need to understand. And understanding the way that propaganda does that. Not just by tricking you, not just by fooling you, not just by making you think that Pepsi tastes good, but by forcing you to say something that you know deep down in your heart is not the truth and not reality. That is the kind of thing that you must push back against. And that is the sort of thing that we need to understand when we not just talk about propaganda, but are immersed in it constantly and need to figure out how we push back and how we do what is right.